0: Good morning, how are you? Good, you sound great, by the way. You guys sound awesome. Hey, just uh, before I get into my message this morning, I wanna just make you aware that uh, last week we announced that kind of from, for this next year at least, we're going to be gathering uh, for prayer on Sunday evenings from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at our church office in the prayer room. And, you know, maybe you, can't, maybe you don't wanna come for two hours, that's no problem, you can come and go as you please. Uh, but if you have a heart for prayer, And even if you would say that you have the spiritual gift of intercession which means that you just, you know, some people struggle as a prayer. I would say for most of us, we have to work hard to learn to pray, and then I think for people who have the gift of prayer, they have to work hard, but it, there, there is just a burden and a passion for prayer. If I'm describing you this morning, um, I would love if you would uh, be able to make it to Sunday nights uh, when you're able to, and if that doesn't describe you and you just want to learn to pray and you want to pray for our church and pray for our community, uh, you are welcome as well. It is not for the spiritually seasoned It's for anyone who has a passion to pray every Sunday night, six to eight, at our uh, campus in North Coventry, and uh, it'd be great to have you. And if you can only come for 20 minutes, no problem. Uh, We just believe that uh, God has called us to pray, and so we just want to create a space for us to do that. Um, Last week, we started a series called Who We Are. As we get closer to this next chapter in the life of our church... Becoming Connection Church, they installed the new signs this week at our church on our campus, it says Connection Church, Um, we're we're no turning back now, Uh, we are looking as we make the transition from this place over to our new building, uh, from Spring Valley Community Church to embracing our identity as Connection Church, we are looking at who we are called to be as a church. This morning we are going to learn that who we are called to be as a church is a community of worshipers. Who we are called to be as a church is a community of worshipers. Now, when you hear the word worship, you usually think about what? Singing. What we just did to start our service this morning. You think about singing. My son Joseph, he's in sixth grade, and he goes to Coventry Christian schools, and he uh, he went on a retreat to start the school year. And he, I asked him, I said, Joseph, how was the retreat? It was two nights, and if you don't know what a retreat is, that's basically like a Christian vacation. And so um, he asked what, he asked, I said, dude, how was the retreat? And he said, Dad, it was really good. He goes, but Dad, like on the last night we were there, he said, uh, we like sang for an hour. And after four songs, Dad, I was like, that's enough. I laughed. Now don't get me wrong, I see the incredible relational importance of worshiping God through song. Personally, I enjoy singing and have had many powerful encounters with God during times of corporate singing. But I was not concerned for my son's soul because he was done with the hymn sing after 25 minutes as a sixth grader. When the Bible uses the word worship, it's always talking about an activity that is much bigger and more encompassing than singing. When I say that as a church, who we are called to be is a community of worshipers, that absolutely includes singing. But it is far more than that. If we were to look for a simple definition of worship in the Scriptures, we could find one at the beginning of Romans chapter 12. Let me give you a little bit of the context of Paul's letter to the Roman church. Romans, like many of Paul's letters, can be broken up into two sections. The first section is about doctrine, the truths the Christian life is built on. The second is about how we are called to live as the people of God in light of all of the truth that we have just learned. So here's Romans 1 through 11. I'm going to preach Romans 1 or tell you what it's about in about one minute. Chapters 1 through 11 of Romans, Paul tells the gospel story, who God is and what God has done. He begins in chapter 1 with the reality that the fallen world offers self indulgence at every level. Many people live their lives apart from God, indulging in every desire that they feel. Welcome to 2018. If I feel it, it must be true. If I feel it, I must act on it. And if I feel it, that is who I am. And what fallen people do is they chase created things over their creator, suppressing the truth of God and exchanging it for a lie. And what is the lie we're usually exchanging for the truth of who God is? I am in charge of my own life and I can do whatever I please. We're all guilty of this. And then in chapters 2 through 4, Paul presents God's plan to make sinful and fallen people right before him by making them righteous through Jesus Christ. Then chapters 5 through 8, Paul is going to unpack the idea of what it means to be set free from sin. You know how you struggle with sin? Yes, you do know. I know. Paul tells us in chapters 5 through 8 how we can be set free from sin, culminating in chapter 8 when he says the way to be set free from sin is to set our minds on what the Holy Spirit desires. And then in chapters 9 through 11, which are honestly tough to understand, what is Paul doing? Paul actually is encouraging the church to celebrate with the nation of Israel, to lament over Israel's blindness, that Israel does not see their Messiah, Jesus Christ. And then Paul tells us to hold out hope for the future of Israel, that God is not finished with Israel, that God still has a plan, and there will be a remnant, and eyes will be opened among the Jewish people to see the glory and the beauty of Jesus. So really... The first 11 chapters of Romans is this beautiful theology where Paul says, here's who we are as fallen people. Here's who God is. Here's what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ on your behalf and my behalf. And here's how we fit into God's big story. And then in chapter 12, a shift occurs where Paul basically here's what he's going to do. He's going to tell us to do something, In light of everything I have taught you, here is how you must live. And if you were paying attention earlier in the year during our Ephesians series, you know that he did this also in Ephesians. So, what does Paul tell us to do? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to preach you one verse this morning. Therefore, I urge you, brothers... You could translate that, brothers and sisters. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, what? As living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This, the offering of your body as a living sacrifice, this is your spiritual act of worship. Two questions I'm gonna ask and answer today. First, what is worship, and second, why we worship. First, what is worship, second, why we worship. What is worship? No matter who we are or what we believe, you and I and everyone you've ever met is a worshiper. We are all worshiping someone or something. And here's what our culture tells us. Your life belongs to you. Live it however you want to. Whatever makes you and your family and your loved ones the most happy, do it. Whatever is going to bring you the most success in life, whatever is going to make you the most money, and you can get a McMansion and a picket fence and a 401K, and you can live the American dream, you better do that. None of those things are bad, by the way. But that's not why you're on the planet. But our culture is telling us, hey, you're number one. You're number one. But you know what I think we all know deep down? That does not satisfy at all. Here's how I know. Some of you have everything I just described, and you are not satisfied. Some of you know people who have everything I just described, and you can see they're not satisfied. Worshipping our own happiness, pleasure, and agenda never leaves us whole and fulfilled as people. C.S. Lewis said this Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they want something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. You've experienced that. You know exactly what he means. In our natural human condition, our worship always has the self at the center. And in Romans 12.1, there is one command. In light of everything God has done, there is a kind of worship that God is looking for, that you were created for, and that pleases God. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. How co- countercultural is that? Offer your body, offer your whole being to God as a sacrifice. Paul is alluding, when he uses this language of offering your body as a sacrifice, he's alluding to a worshiper, probably a devout Israelite. Going to the temple in the Old Testament with an offering. That's what the Israelites would do to worship. They would go to the temple, not necessarily sing, there might be some music, but the worship was the bringing of an offering. Some offerings in the Old Testament were called sin offerings, in which the worshiper would shed the blood of an animal to atone for their sin. The animal died in place of the worshiper. That's why the Old Testament is so bloody and so many animals are dying and PETA is ticked at the Old Testament. Because so much of the blood that is spilled is meant to represent something else dying in the place of the human. But Paul is not referring to a sin offering here. Why? Because Jesus already is our once-for-all sin offering. He died in our place for our sin so that we can be forgiven. Another kind of offering was a whole burnt offering. This is what Paul is referring to. A worshiper brought a valuable animal from their flock. The animal had to be what? Without defect or blemish. The animal had to be costly, expensive to you. You did not bring a small, uh, male-formed goat that can't see, that has two legs, and is really skinny. All right. Come on, Theodore, we're going. You have this little goat, and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. He can barely walk. He can't see. I can't eat him. He's skinnier than ever. There's something wrong with Theodore. We're going to sacrifice him to the Lord and call it worship. God's like, no, no, I don't want, I don't want your bad goat that you don't want. I want your best. I want the best of your flock. The purpose of the whole burnt offering was a way to show that all you had was at God's disposal. Here's the idea. You didn't give God your leftovers. And burnt offerings were always completely consumed by fire. You didn't get to eat any of it. And it represented complete consecration and devotion to the Lord. To offer your body as a living sacrifice is a way of saying all of who you are must be sacrificed to God to offer your body is to offer your whole person to God in worship. That's way more than music, isn't it? That's way more than three or four songs on a Sunday morning. That's more than dropping a few bucks in the offering as it goes by. That's more than volunteering to serve in ministry. That's more than reading the verse of the day on you version and calling it Christianity. Everything we do with our bodies is an act of worship. So let's really think about this. How do we worship? Well, the first thing is we worship with our hands. When we go to work, the quality of our work that we do at our jobs is an act of worship. We worship with our hands, we worship with our tongue, The words we say and how we communicate and the words we choose to say to the people around us, our co-workers, our families, our spouse, our children, our neighbors, how we talk about people behind their backs, our tongues are an instrument of worship. When we speak, we're worshiping. We worship with our feet, the places we go should reflect we have offered our lives as living sacrifices to God. That's why we will not let our feet carry us to the couch to watch a Patriots game because we want to worship. We worship with our eyes what we choose to watch. What we choose to watch. You know, for years, the church had really harped on really going after people about movies and what they watched and, you know as if we equated what we watched as like a pinnacle of our spirituality. And you know what my fear is, is that we've gone the other complete direction. That some of us in this room, we have no filter over our eyes. We watch whatever we wanna watch. We see whatever we wanna see. And I would just ask you this very simple question. When we watch whatever we wanna watch and see whatever we wanna see, does your whole body belong to the Lord? We worship with our ears. What we choose to listen to is worship. Who we choose to have influence in our life is worship. We worship with our brains. What we think about and fill our minds with is worship. This is a tough one, especially for the preacher. We worship with our stomachs. What we eat is worship. Some of us go to the fridge to worship our stomachs. But our stomachs belong to the Lord, too. And I don't say that to judge you. I say that because sometimes I find that in my own life. As we begin to flesh this out, what it means to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God, we begin to recognize that worship is something we are doing at all times. And if our whole life is lived for God in worship, that also means that all of what we have, we must use to worship him as well. Instead of worshiping our homes, our cars, our careers, our families, our bank accounts, we worship with those things. Our home is a place of worship that is at God's disposal to use for His purposes and not just our comfort. Our jobs are not just a means to financial provision, but when you go to work tomorrow, you go to work as a worshiper. You're going to worship in your cubicle. You're going to worship in the classroom. You're going to compu- worship in front of your com- computer screen. You're going to worship on the assembly line. You are a worshiper in that moment at your job. As you work with your hands, you work with your head, you work with your heart. Your job is a platform of mission. That God wants to use. Some people think in the church that the job I have is more important than the job you have. That is not even close to the truth. This is what God has called me to. What you do is what God has called you to, to, and they both matter to the Lord. I am a worshiper while I'm preaching and while I'm working in the office. You are a worshiper in your job too. And God has placed you in your workplace to be a light and a blessing and a voice for Christ for those around you, instead of worshiping money, our money is an instrument of worship offered to God. You know, sometimes when I said earlier that God doesn't want our leftovers, some of us, that's our giving habit. Our giving habit is, God, you can have whatever doesn't cost me. Whatever You can have whatever will not make me say no to myself and my desires. See, we don't use money to get stuff. We use money to worship. Worship is incredibly practical. And it's the constant activity of our lives. And our worship is supposed to have a distinct quality to it. It's holy. Our worship is to be holy. That word holy means set apart. Again, this magnifies the totality of what kind of worship God is after. A life that totally belongs to Him. A life that is completely set apart for God. A life that Jesus described when He said, If anyone would follow me, He must deny Himself, pick up His cross, and follow me. The church is a community of people who are daily giving themselves over in worship to God, offering our whole lives to God, making our lives all about Him and for Him. That's worship. All of who you are laid on the altar because of who God is. That's worship. Raising our hands when we sing, beautiful. I do that all the time. But that is not what defines you as a worshiper. It's does your whole life, your whole body, is it on the altar before the Lord that says, God, it's all yours? Is that you? I'm guessing that this definition of worship can feel crushing to us. Like another weight on the pile of our already burdened and busy lives. But I want to show you two reasons Paul gives us for why we should fully embrace offering our whole lives in worship. Here's why we worship. How does Paul start Romans 12? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. The reason we worship by offering our whole life to the Lord is because God is merciful. He has shown us mercy. The Christian life, this is maybe the most important thing that some of us need to hear this morning, the Christian life can never be lived if we are motivated by fear, guilt, and shame. You will not joyfully, gratefully lay down your life on the altar if you are living in fear, shame, and guilt. The reason we are told to offer our whole lives to God and worship is because we serve a God who has shown us unfathomable mercy and grace in the gospel. So I want to read three passages of scripture to you from the book of Romans. And I'm just going to read them. And here's why I'm going to read some lengthy scripture right now. Because I want you to view the mercy of God. I want you to view the mercy of God. You can zone out or you can let your heart engage with the incredible mercy we've been shown. Romans 5 verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Then in verse 6 of Romans 5, Paul says when we were utterly helpless Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us well we were still sinners And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored, not by your good behavior, by the death of His Son, Well, we were still His enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Romans 6, 5 through 8. Since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised to life as He was. Yep, you will die physically. We will have a funeral for you if Jesus doesn't come back first. But if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you and I, we're getting out of the grave. We will be raised immortal. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. That's gonna be the best day you've ever had. We know that our own sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin for when we died with Christ and that's your identity by the way. You died. The sinful, selfish, arrogant, prideful, needing autonomy, hating authority, you. You died. You died. You died with Christ. That's a picture of what baptism is talking about. You died with Christ. And what happened when we died with Christ? We were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with Him. A life of worship can only be lived if it's motivated by grace, gratitude, and hope. Instead of fear and guilt, some of you, you are afraid of God. You are always living in this place of worthlessness. I'm not enough. i got to do more to get God to love me. Some of you, that is the heartbeat of your life and your behavior. You feel worthless. You feel ashamed. You feel guilty. And I'm not here as a motivational speaker to tell you you're not because you're a snowflake. I'm here to tell you because Jesus Christ died in your place for your sin, because your identity is wrapped up in the fact that you died with Christ. The power of sin is broken in your life. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You have been made new. You don't live in this place of fear and guilt and worthlessness and hopelessness. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been set free from all of that and you stand in grace and you stand in perfect righteousness before the God of the universe. You have received mercy and because of that offer your body. Offer your whole life to Him. He deeply loves you. He deeply cares for you. Your body, your being in the arms of God is the safest place your being can be. That is God's will for your life. That is worship. But that will only happen if you view his mercy and that is the foundation of your life. Here's the second reason. Some of us are gonna be surprised by this reason. And this is really important. The reason we offer our whole bodies to God in worship as living sacrifices is because it's the only logical response. It's the only logical response, and that's exactly what Paul says. When Paul says in Romans 12.1, this is your spiritual act of worship, the word spiritual sort of obscures the meaning. Paul uses the Greek word logikon where we get our word logical. What Paul is saying is profound. Only in light of God's mercy does it make sense to offer your whole self to the Lord. When our thinking is shaped by the mercy and the grace and the gospel of Jesus, what is Paul saying? It's only logical. It's only rational. It's the only thing a clear thinking person would do laying down your whole life. In worship to God. If you give yourself partially or half-heartedly to God, you're just not thinking clearly. You may have a PhD, a 4.0 grade point average. You may read a lot, listen to a lot of podcasts, and feel really bright and intellectual. But if you have not offered your whole body to God in worship in view of His mercy, you are not an intellectual person. You are just not intellectually there. It's only logical in light of His mercy. It's only rational in light of His mercy to offer all of who you are to God. When our lives are too crowded and busy to internalize and think about grace, mercy. And we're so busy with the flurry of activity. And I'm not saying that it's better to be bored, by the way. What I'm saying is it's better to have space in your life to think and commune with God and every day let the gospel and the grace of God shape your life. If you're too busy for that, you're too busy. See, because when we're too busy to internalize the gospel and all that God has done, we live irrational and illogical lives. And we make irrational and illogical decisions. Tim Keller says this, the only rational response to Christ giving us all of himself is to give all of ourselves to him. To fail to give ourselves fully to God is not only morally offensive, it is a failure to think clearly. Who we are, who we are called to be, is a community of worshipers offering all of who we are to the Lord Jesus Christ because he has shown us mercy, lavished us with his grace, loves us with a never-ending love. What would our church be like if it was filled with worshipers like this? What impact would it make on our neighborhood, on our office, on our families, on our marriages, on our children, on our communities, on our relationships with one another. Imagine the people who could be impacted if we could show them that a life of worship, offering all of who you are to who God is, holding nothing back, not just giving him a slice of your life, not just giving him an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday, But the reason you exist is to say, God, all of who I am belongs to you. You take it, Lord. You take this body. You take my eyes and my ears, my tongue, my hands, my feet, my heart and my brain. You take the complete reality of who I am. Lord, I offer you my bank account, I offer you my budget, I offer you my car, I offer you my home, I offer you my family. For as long as little children live in my home and they have to answer from, to me as for me in my house, we will worship the Lord. What they choose to do when they grow up is on them. But when they're under my house, we're going to worship God. This family will be completely belonging to Christ. My marriage is yours, Lord. My career is yours, Lord. Spring Valley Community Church is yours, Lord. Our new building is yours, Lord. It's all yours. My schedule is yours. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. I have a simple question for you this morning, and it's this. The thing about living sacrifices is, maybe you've heard this said, the thing about living sacrifices is is they can crawl off the altar and do their own thing. Have you crawled off the altar? Have you crawled off the altar this morning? Have you been living your life in such a way that says, my life is mine, my time is mine, my gifts, my talents are mine, my money is mine, it's all mine and I'm gonna give to God when I feel it's convenient for me. You've crawled off the altar and here's what you need to do this morning. Not feel guilty, not feel ashamed. You need to stare at his mercy. See, what's happened in your heart is the gospel, the grace of God is missing. And you've moved your eyes from the profound love and grace of Jesus onto your circumstances and your own happiness and your own agenda. And so the Holy Spirit is inviting us this morning through Romans 12:1 to view the mercy of God and joyfully get back on the altar and say together as his people, as a community of worshipers, we are yours, God. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask you to take a bold step this morning. Something we don't ask you to do hardly ever. But I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat this morning if you've crawled off the altar. And I'm going to ask you to join me up front. And maybe for those of you, you just know you're in a spot where you're like, hey, I know my whole life doesn't belong to the Lord. Why am I asking you to come and just join me up front? Because you need to know where you're at. God already knows. I don't need to know where you're at, you need to know. And I don't want you to escape this moment, look at the person you came with and say that was nice or I hated that and go to lunch. I wanna give you an opportunity this morning just to come. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do when you get up here. I'm gonna ask you to open up your hands like this And then I'm gonna pray over you. And the elders of our church are gonna come around the back and they're just gonna pray. And no one's gonna make you feel weird. People who are in the seats aren't gonna judge you and be like, oh my goodness, look who crawled off the altar. We don't roll like that here. And if that's what you are tempted to do, view his mercy and come up here. So if this is you this morning, your whole life is not on the altar. I'm going to ask you to come and just stand and lift your hands with me. I'm going to pray over you and then we'll be dismissed. Would you boldly come this morning and can we just consecrate our lives to the Lord? Don't be afraid to come. Don't be be ashamed. This is a house of mercy. This is a house of grace. We must be a people who know that we fall and we only get back on our feet again through the power of the gospel, not through shame, not through guilt, not through fear, but grace. God is for you. He is not against you. Don't let your pride keep you in your seat if you need to come. I'll wait just a moment more. If our elders and leaders would just fill in behind those who have come. Let's just lift our hearts to the Lord this morning. Father, we come today as people who want to say, my whole life is yours. Lord, yes, there was a time in our lives where we said, we're going to follow Jesus, but Lord, there's been lots of times where we've just wanted to do our own thing. We've wanted to make our lives about us and so we're here this morning in this middle school, in front of this stage, just saying, God, it's yours. My heart is yours. My family is yours. My money is yours. My expectations are yours. My marriage is yours. My children are yours. My eyes are yours. My tongue is yours. My ears are yours. My heart is yours. My mind is yours. Where these feet take me? they're yours. And so God, we say together, we belong to you. And we get on the altar and say, God, take our lives and use us. Use us for your glory. Your goal is not to crush us. Your goal is to bless us. Your goal is to help us see that The best life you've ever had for us, the full and abundant life we all long for is only found in total surrender to Christ. Give us that heart. Thank you for my brothers and my sisters this morning. Give us hearts after you. Help us to stay on the altar. Help us as a church to be a community of worshipers. Not just good at singing, though that's important. But when we leave this place, it's all yours. Thank you for these loved ones, God. Renew them in Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.